So our, our series that we're in the middle of, it, we've entitled it Sticks and Stones. That's a playground uh, rhyme that you've heard, Sticks and Stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. We know it's not true. Uh, we know that there's much more pain that we can endure than a physical pain, than a bruise. And so, um, and really behind this is this idea that there's a trap that the enemy wants you to step into, and that's a trap of picking up offense against people in your life, and particularly uh, people in, in a church family, where the enemy tries to divide us, and so if he can get us to just begin to take up offense against one another, it might just begin with a simple annoyance, uh, but it, it can build to resentment, it can build to bitterness, and as we see the story today, it can even lead to a place of hatred, and the enemy wants to bait a trap for you that says, in this instance, I, I'm going to choose to be offended. I'm going to take up offense. And so, um, how many know that sometimes Facebook can be a good thing, uh, and often it's not? But this, uh, this past week, maybe two weeks ago, um, uh, uh, something popped up on my Facebook feed, and it was, uh, it was a post from someone that goes back many, many years ago uh, that we had a difficult season in our relationship. And when this when this post popped up, I immediately had a negative thought toward that person. And I thought, and, I, and then I realized, oh, that was kind of an ugly thought. That was not a nice thought. And I realized that I, you know, we had made amends. I thought we had kind of, uh, you know, done that work of reconciliation. But I realized that there's still something in me that when I saw a post um, about that person, that it evoked something negative in me. There, there was just an ugly thought that went through my mind. And, um, and I realized, God, I, I, I'm still carrying something toward that person. And uh, there's still some resentment there. And I had to take some time to pray about that and ask God, God, I need your help with this. I thought, thought it was gone. How many of you have, have been in that situation where, where that happens to you and, and you realize, God, there's still some work that you need to do in my heart? And so this series is about exactly that, God doing a work in our hearts where perhaps we are carrying offense toward one another. When it comes to offense, there are two groups of people. There are those who have been genuinely mistreated. There has been an injustice. You have been wounded by someone, and it's, it, it's, it's really happened. It's not a figment of your imagination. It's not you being oversensitive, but you have been wronged. And then there are those in the second category, and perhaps we've all been in this second category as well, where it's just simply you've taken offense to something where there's no offense that needed to be taken. And that person doesn't even know that you have offended them. They have no idea. And yet you've chosen to pick up offense and it's created some kind of barrier in your relationship. Well, this morning we're going to look at category number one. And we're going to look at this question, what happens when you and I are genuinely mistreated? What happens when we are actually wronged? And how are we to handle that? Do we have a right in those moments to pick up offense and to begin to carry an offense toward that person that has harmed us or has genuinely mistreated us? And we're going to look at these questions through the life of a man named Joseph. Such a familiar figure in Scripture. And someone has said, you know, probably next to Jesus, this man, Joseph, may be the greatest example of integrity and godly character in all of Scripture. This is a man that, that walked in such a way that he had every opportunity to pick up offense, and yet somehow he made it through those things without becoming bitter and angry and vengeful. 
And so the story picks up in Genesis chapter 37, and I think probably in, in, um, in light of time, we won't read that, but the story picks up, Joseph is 17 years old when we, when we are introduced to him in the book of Genesis, and he had a few strikes against him. The first strike was this, he had 10 older brothers. Now, if there's any reason to pick up a fence at some point, uh, how many of you know that would probably be a pretty good scenario? where uh, siblings get on each other's nerves. He was the baby of the family, one more below him, but, but there were 10 older brothers. And, and so that in itself was probably challenging, uh, being in that place. Maybe the, you're the youngest in your family and you can't imagine, wow, 10 older siblings, that might have been a little tough. But also there was something else, and this was that Joseph um, had become his father's favorite. And you may think, well, what's wrong with that? It sounds pretty good to me. Have you ever been in a family where someone is chosen as the favorite? There is pain that comes from that scenario. And so for whatever reason, Jacob made his father, Joseph's father, made a serious, uh, serious lapse of judgment. And he began to favor Joseph, and he made them this coat of many colors. He made him a coat that caused him to stand out from the rest of his brothers. And his brothers could see that Joseph was the favored one, and they began to hate him. They began to despise him in in their hearts. And then the other thing about Joseph is that he was a dreamer. Now, when I say he was a dreamer, this is in a literal sense, where God began to give him dreams. God began to speak to Joseph through the avenue of dreams. And Joseph, um, perhaps not having the wisdom that he could have had, he began to just share this to his brothers. And and, and really, the... um, kind of the, the, the main point of the dream was, hey, brothers, older brothers, uh, someday you're going to be bowing down at my feet and serving me. Now, for whatever reason, it just didn't go over very well. I'm not quite sure why, but his brothers did not take to that very well, and so it just heightened their hatred toward him. And so we find this scenario where at the age of 17, Joseph's suffering began. This is where his path of suffering started as we pick it up in Genesis chapter 37. So his brothers decide to end his dream. They decide, we are going to kill Joseph, and if he thinks he has some dreams, at some point, we're going to be serving him. He's wrong. We're going to kill him. You know, the tragedy is in this story that, that there were those who made it their dream to destroy Joseph's dream. And maybe you've been in that situation where someone in your circle of relationship or in your circle of work has has made it their dream to destroy your dream. And this is the situation that Joseph finds himself in. There are 10 brothers that that are vengeful and out to get him, to kill him. They have an opportunity to do that. One of the brothers said, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in this pit. Let him, let him rot there. Basically, let him die. And then they see this caravan coming on its way to Egypt. And, and someone else um, says, well, let's sell him. And so this first place uh, where Joseph has the right to pick up offense and to begin to be vengeful is this place of betrayal. He begins to experience a deep injustice. And so I can't imagine how that moment would have felt to Joseph. I'm sure he would have been thinking, okay, you know, brothers, my brothers are just bluffing. At some point, they're just going to say, you know, I, we were just trying to teach you a lesson. We're just kidding. You know, we really hate you, but we're not, we're not going to actually sell you as a slave. But no, this is what happened. His, his brothers, 
the ones that were flesh and blood that were close to him, they betrayed him and they sold him for 20 pieces of silver. And so what they did is they sold him into a life of slavery. You know, that's probably the deepest betrayal that you could ever imagine or think of. You know, the fact of the matter is that it's often those that are closest to us that can do the most damage to us. And you, you and I know that we feel the sting uh, more deeply when it's someone that is close to us who has maybe let us down or who has wronged us or who has betrayed our confidence. And it just hurts more when it's someone who you expected to not do that but to protect you instead. You know, you can go from hero to zero in about five minutes flat and it can leave you with your head spinning. What just happened in this relationship. You know, perhaps you would say, well, I can't really relate to that example of Joseph. I've never been betrayed into slavery, and you're right, you haven't, and neither have I. But what are some places in our lives where we can, we can pick up offense, where we can step into that trap? Well, perhaps it's, it's a broken promise. Perhaps it's a dad that promised to, to come to your games over and over and over again, or he promised to take an interest in your interests over and over again, and yet he never showed up. It just didn't happen. And perhaps in that place of pain, you realize that you're carrying something against him. Have you ever lent money to someone, a friend who's out of work, and they say to you, they say this, as soon as I get a job, I'm going to repay that money. And so time goes on, they get a job, you realize they could easily repay you, but they never mention it, they just go on like nothing's happened. And in that place, how hard is it not to pick up an offense toward that person? Have you been there? Maybe it's, maybe it's the breaking of a confidence and you have poured out your soul to someone and you've confided in them and to your dismay, it comes back around through the grapevine to you and you realize my trust has been broken. I thought I could trust that person and I, I, their confidence, I can't have confidence in them any longer. And so perhaps it's the breaking of a confidence and, and this morning you realize I'm still carrying something against that person because of what they've done to me. Maybe it's personal rejection, the sting of an unkind word or being left out of an important family decision. Maybe you've been the victim of gossip or or perhaps friends have walked out on you at the very time when you needed them. And this morning as the Holy Spirit begins to speak to our hearts, maybe that's a place where you've picked up offense and you're still carrying it. Or maybe finally it's a place of false accusation. And perhaps a family member or maybe a jealous coworker begins to spread lies about you and they're just not true. Maybe it's a classmate who has it in for you and they post lies about you on social media and, and maybe you have been in a place where you have been on the, the receiving end of false accusations and you realize this morning, yeah, that's happened to me and yes, I'm still holding on to a sense of, of offense or anger or bitterness toward that person. You see, these are all places of pain. And it's very often in a place of pain where the enemy will tempt you and I to begin down the road of anger and bitterness and revenge. And it begins with just taking up an offense toward that person. And it can lead to places where we do not want to go. But they're places of pain. And I had a sense this morning that as we look at the story of Joseph that, 
perhaps what God wants to do today is he wants to touch a place of pain in your life that will enable you to, to lay aside that offense, that will enable you to no longer carry that. But what needs to happen in your life is there needs to be a, a healing in that place of woundedness because it's in those places of pain that we are so tempted to pick up offense and to carry those things around. I want to encourage you this morning that God can do that work in your heart and in mine. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 is written to a church family, and it says this, See to it that no one misses the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. You see, you never intend to get to a place where there's a deep root of anger or bitterness in your heart. You don't intend to get there, but it begins perhaps with something that seems innocent. It's picking up this offense in your, in your heart towards someone, but that can begin to grow. And so, Scripture tells us that bitterness, which I believe is a byproduct of picking up offense, that it has a beginning. It has a root. There's something underneath uh, that, that thing that we carry that perhaps is labeled bitterness. There's something underneath that. And then it also reminds us that if we choose to carry those things in our lives, it's not just you that it harms, but the tentacles of that, of that destructive uh, pattern begin to spread to the relationships around you. And so the writer of Hebrews says, you know, don't miss God's grace that can enable you to lay aside bitterness towards someone and to move on in his grace in that area. And so back to Joseph. We're going to walk through quickly this man's life. The first thing that he experienced, we've already looked at it, was a place of betrayal. He was betrayed in the deepest sense of the word. And then, and then we find that, you know, things get, uh, he, he must have, on his way to Egypt, he must have realized that, that he was not only betrayed, but, but there was this great sense of loss that he had just experienced. You see, at the age of 17, he would have had, he would have had his life stretching out ahead of him. He would have had the dreams that God had put in his heart. He was probably at the age in his culture where he was eligible to marry. Perhaps there was someone that had already caught his eye. He was thinking about enjoying the, the wealth of his father and perhaps an inheritance someday. And all of that had been snatched away. It was gone. Because now the label over his life was slave. And another place in Joseph, he had every right, so to speak, to become bitter to take up offense and to begin to become vengeful because it was, he could point to that moment, it was his brother's fault. Because of them, I will not experience the future that I had hoped for. Because of them, the dreams in my life are now shattered and gone, and he experienced this place of loss. And so a place of betrayal, a place of loss, two places where he could have become a bitter young man. And then things get a little bit better, but then they get worse. So when he gets to Egypt, he, he is bought by this wealthy man named Potiphar. Potiphar was, uh, had a very uh, responsible position under Pharaoh. He had some wealth. He had uh, a household that, was, uh, that had servants that needed to be managed. And the Bible says that, Scripture says that Joseph, everything he put his hand to, God began to pour favor on him. And Potiphar began to notice, this young man that I bought as a slave, there's something about him that, that he, I want to give him more responsibility. It turned out that in the end, 
Potiphar had given him responsibility over every area of his, of his household, the running of his household and of, of the, the management of his affairs. In fact, Scripture says the only thing that Potiphar ended up needing to decide on was what am I going to have for supper? What am I going to ask the cook to cook for me today? Everything else he left in the care of Joseph. Okay, so things are starting to look up a little bit. And then we know that here comes a false accusation. Joseph was a handsome young man, and he caught the eye of Potiphar's wife, not because of anything that he was doing, but she began to try to seduce Joseph. And over and over again, Scripture says, almost daily, if you read the text, she began to to try to seduce him. And one day the house was empty. Joseph had come in to attend to some affairs of the house, and she said to him again, come and lie with me. And Joseph again and again had resisted that temptation. He had said no, no, over and over again. He was a man of integrity. And on this day, she was so angry that he was spurning her advances that as he ran out of the house, (laughs) he knew he had to get out of there. She grabbed his cloak, and then she accused him of trying to rape her. Potiphar, understandably so, was furious. And he had Joseph thrown in prison. So here we find another place where Joseph could have begun to take up a place of offense and anger and bitterness. So now not only was it, you know, if it wasn't for my brothers, now it was if it wasn't for Potiphar's wife. He had every reason to begin to blame and to begin to become a bitter young man. Well, guess what happens in prison? The prison guard begins to see some potential in Joseph and eventually begins to give him some responsibility. And again, God favors him in that place. It was not a nice place. A, a, a prison or a dungeon uh, in those days was not a place that, was, um, that you wanted to be in any sense of the word. And yet God begins to favor him. And we know that there are, there are two men that have, interesting word here, have offended Pharaoh. There's the cupbearer and there's the baker. Pharaoh's not, a, he's not happy with them. He sends them to prison. And they began to have dreams. And, and so this is a place where, where uh, this is a tremendous test for Joseph. John Bevere, who writes about this story, he said, this is a place where there is a test for Joseph. And the test was this. In the midst of all that he had gone through, was he going to speak well of God or was he going to speak words of bitterness against God? And we find that in spite of all that he had gone through, in spite of being in a dungeon, a prison physically, that when those men came to him and said, we're having dreams, we don't know how to figure it out, he said to them, hey, God can answer your dreams. He had not become bitter toward God. And so he was still able, in spite of all these things, to resist this place of anger and and bitterness. And so we know that he, he translates the dreams. God gives him the interpretation. And um, the, uh, the baker ends up uh, losing his life. And the butler ends up going back and serving, uh, serving Pharaoh again. And just as he's leaving, Joseph says to him, Hey, listen, can you put in a good word for me? Well, the, the butler forgets. For two more years, Joseph is in this prison. And so here is a place of being forgotten And again, another opportunity for him to take up uh, a place of offense and to begin uh, to go down that path. Finally, we know how the story unfolds. And Joseph is brought into Pharaoh's court. He interprets a dream for Pharaoh. 
And Pharaoh decides he's going to give Joseph this place where he's second in command over all of Egypt. And from that moment of being sold into slavery at 17 years of age until the moment where Pharaoh gives him that responsibility, he seems like he's, he's come through the fire. That was 17 years. So fully half of Joseph's young life had been spent uh, enduring one injustice after another. Betrayal, loss, false accusation, being forgotten and left to rot in a prison. And finally, he's through that. And then his brothers show up on the scene. It was nine years later that his brothers show up. They are on the verge of starving to death. And they hear that there's food in Egypt. And they hear that, that Egypt has some, some reserves of food and they might be able to get some. So they make their way to Egypt, unbeknownst to them. The second in command, the person they're going to is their brother, the one that they had betrayed 26 years before. And we find in this interaction with Joseph and his brothers, we find what I believe was what enabled him to resist going down the path of offense and bitterness and anger and revenge. And I believe it was this. It was because he had made a decision to entrust himself to God. He had made a decision to say, God, I will continue to entrust myself to you in spite of these injustices, in spite of these shattered dreams, in spite of these wrongs that have been done to me. And over and over again, I believe he made a decision to entrust himself to God. And listen to what he says in Genesis 45, 5. He's facing his brothers. He's finally revealed his true identity to them. And he says this to them. And now do not be distressed and to not be angry with yourselves. What a remarkable thing to say. Hey, don't be too hard on yourselves, guys. And I know 26 years ago, you betrayed me and sold me into slavery, but, you know, go easy on yourselves here. And this is why. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And there's this this ability in Joseph to recognize that, you know, the pain was, he had still experienced the pain of all of those things. That, That was very real. That was part of his past. He was probably still carrying some wounds from that. It doesn't mean he didn't experience all of those things, but, but coming through that, he, he realized, God, you were, you were with me all along. And I believe the reason why he didn't stand before them as a bitter, vengeful young man is because he had chosen to entrust himself to God. You may say, wait a minute, hold on. Just a minute here. You may say, well, of course Joseph's able to stand there and say that, right? Hindsight's twenty twenty. He's passed all the difficult moments. He's living a good life now. For nine years, he's been the second in command in Egypt. So, of course, Joseph's going to be able to say that. But just a minute, what enabled him to be the man he was that, that was this man that displayed love and tenderness and forgiveness? Instead of being a man that was vengeful and full of hate and bitterness, he wasn't that at all. And I believe what it was that enabled him to stand before his brother's And to say to them, I forgive you, and listen, in fact, God knew what he was doing all along. 
It was because there was this deep sense in him that at every point of loss and injustice, that he just simply said, God, I can trust you with my future. I can trust you with my future. And so Joseph stood before his brothers that that day, and, and he was a man that was humble. He was broken but not crushed. He was tenderhearted. He was forgiving. He displayed a deep and genuine love for the very ones that had betrayed him. That just doesn't happen by accident. There are decisions he had to make along the way not to allow that root of bitterness to begin to grow in his heart. And so it could have been a very different Joseph that his brothers encountered that day. It could have been a very different man that stood in front of them. Instead of Joseph the gentle, he could have been Joseph the terrible, really. He could have been hardened and angry and bitter and harsh and vindictive and vengeful and judgmental. After all that he had been through, that very well could have been the man that he had become. And so I believe that Joseph had to make decisions at each point of loss and pain. He had to make a decision to say, God, I do not want to go down this path of bitterness, and all I can do in these moments is entrust myself to you and to come back to that belief and that truth that you have my future in your hands and that you know what I'm suffering, you know the injustice, but God, I'm entrusting myself to you again and again and again. And it was those decisions that allowed him to come through those places of pain in his life as a man that was not bitter and not angry and not vengeful. John Bevere said this, no man, woman, child, or devil can get you out of the will of God for your life except for you. And so I believe it's true that carrying an offense, that not allowing God to deal with that root in your life, it can affect your destiny. You see, if if Joseph had decided to go down that path, I believe God would not have allowed him to step into that place of being second. Because what, if, what would he have done when his brothers came? He would have killed them. He would have had it in his power to do that. And you know what would have happened if that happened? The 11 tribes of Israel would not have grown into the nation of Israel. And Jesus, who came through that lineage, would not have come through that lineage. So God knew. God knew. Here's a young man that as he went through the fire, he just kept turning his heart back to me. And God was able to entrust him with more and more and more responsibility to the point where he was in this place where he actually saved the nation of Israel. His brothers and his father were able to find the food that they needed so they did not starve to death. And so I believe Joseph had decisions to make all the way along the difficult journey of his life. And so the question for you and I today as we come to communion is this. Can I trust God with my dreams? Can I trust God with my relationships? Can I trust God with my place of loss? Can I trust God with my reputation? Can I trust God with my future? There's a a scripture in Habakkuk that, that says this, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, 
Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. And I believe this morning that the reminder to you and I is this, that as Job said, the plans of God cannot be thwarted. And as you and I at every decision point in our lives come back to that decision to entrust ourselves to God, you can walk through a place of betrayal and not come out the other side bitter. You can walk through moments of false accusation and still come out the other side with a sense that God, trust, I trust my reputation to you. And God, you know the future, and I'm just going to keep entrusting myself, myself to you. And so this morning, I want to encourage you. Would you entrust yourself to God today in a fresh way? God does, a plan, does have a plan. He does know what you are facing. And no plan of his can be thwarted. The only person that can take you out of the will of God is yourself. And oh, do we ever need God's help in those moments of pain to help us to resist picking up anger and bitterness and revenge. God, only God can help us with those moments in our lives. Only God can keep us from that prison that we tend to put ourselves in. And so as you entrust yourself to God, you need to know that he knows where you are and no plan of his can be thwarted. I'm gonna ask Stephanie to come back and we're gonna close with communion today. But listen to Jesus. Jesus needed to do this as well. 1 Peter 2.23 says this about Jesus. When they hurled their insults at them, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him, to God, who judges justly. Jesus knew what it was like to endure the pain that some of you have endured here today in your life. And instead of being tempted to retaliate, instead of being tempted to threaten those that were harming him, he made a decision to say, Father God, I know that I can entrust myself to you in this moment because no one can take you and I out of God's plan. No one. Apart from the decisions that we may make. And if you've made decisions that you realize, you know, I wonder how that's affected my destiny. God is a God of redemption. God is a God of restoration. And he can use those moments where we come back to him and we repent and we say, God, I'm sorry for the decisions that I've made and perhaps I wonder if I've ruined my life but God can redeem those moments in your life for his good. And so this morning, if that's you, entrust yourself to God afresh. Just say, God, the rest of my life, I want to, uh, would you redeem it? Would you redeem those decisions that, that I know were wrong? And perhaps this morning, you're, you're having a moment like I had a few weeks ago, and you realize, wow, yeah, I'm, st- I'm still holding someone against that person. And I need to take some time to ask God to help me to not carry that emotion and that thought 
that really reveals my heart to not carry those things any longer. But God, would you help me? Would you help me to forgive? Would you help me to, to move on in a way that's healthy and whole? That my heart would be tender toward that person. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to have a chance to celebrate communion together. Just stand with me.